Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Hello, everybody. This is Kathy Barrett, and welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. And life is something we shouldn't do alone, so spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain this week. Not everyone is having a happy holiday this season. I just want to take a moment to pause and reflect that there are many people struggling with money issues, career and personal issues, unemployment, and, uh, and health problems. And there are also those who are experiencing the loss of loved ones, which is particularly difficult during this time of the year. And so... If you know someone who is struggling with an issue that might be feeling just a little down and disconnected, I have a request to make. Join me after the show, pick up the phone, and reach out to someone. A simple call with good intentions can have a huge impact on someone's day. And I hope you'll join me so that together we can inject some positive energy into our world today. So let's pay it forward with a little act of compassionate kindness. And thank you for that. One of my favorite memories of 2011 was attending the Images and Voices of Hope Summit at Peace Village in Haynes Falls, New York, this year. Our special guest today is the founder and director of this wonderful organization. Judy Rogers has worked at the intersection of media, business, and education for over 30 years. Judy worked for CBS and CBS Fox Video in both sports and educational video divisions. And in 1985, she and a group of investors purchased a division of CBS Fox, renamed it Video Publishing House, and Judy headed the firm's production and new products divisions. Then in 1997, she started her own company, the Communication Architecture Group, offering organizational consulting, writing, and communication projects. She, along with Dr. David Cooperwriter, founded the Center for Business as an agent of world benefit in the business school at Case Western Reserve University. Judy has also co-authored a new book out uh, now called Something Beyond Greatness, A Conversation with a Man of Science and a Woman of God. We interviewed her co-author last week on the program. Welcome, Judy, and it's so great to have you on the program today. Thank you, Kathy. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you on a terrific book. I mean, Something Beyond Greatness is a wonderful read. And uh, as I mentioned, Gayatri was on the show last week discussing the book. And before we move on to discussing images and voices of hope, I would love to just hear what insights and discoveries you had while working on that project. Well, you know, it was um, it was fascinating to look at the minds of people in the act of being generous. 
which was really what the research was about. We really, um, either through research, through secondary research or through interviews, asked people in the moment when you were doing something generous, and in some cases extremely generous, like, you know, throwing themselves in front of trains or whatever, what was going on inside of you? You know, what what was your internal experience? And it was it was fascinating to come to realize that what was going on for most people was an act of pure love. They weren't thinking. They weren't planning. They had a vision of love for this other one they were helping, and they just extended themselves and that almost always they were overcome by a feeling of gratitude and humility afterwards. You know, this grateful feeling that they were so lucky to be the one to help. And most of them, in fact, everyone we talked with or researched said something like, it wasn't really me, I didn't really do it, Um, I was just lucky to be a part of this. That is really fascinating and interesting to know, and I know you interviewed a wide range of people on that. So if we could just bottle that and market that, <laughs> that would be fabulous. I think it's the kind of thing that it, that it's actually a part of every person, you know, yeah. and, and the thing the people we spoke with tended to be visible figures like the president of India or the subway hero, but actually what we found is almost everyone has either had the experience of reaching beyond themselves in some generous act or has witnessed it. So it's not so rare, really. It's just we don't notice when this is going on so much. Well, that's very true, and I I know particularly with the subway hero, I remember, that he just evoked, like, such love in everyone by what he did. It was almost like everyone looked at strangers very differently because there could be a hero amongst us. And he kind of like highlighted that fact that you mentioned. And I remember just, you know, being in New York City and just feeling such generosity of spirit. It, It just lifted everyone when, you know, he did that heroic deed. It was it was really wonderful. It's true. And we actually studied in one of the chapters we call it the ripple effect. And we studied this business of what happens to people who witness an act of beauty, moral beauty. There's a researcher who's actually working this uh, this year at the Stern School at NYU. He's normally at University of Virginia. And he named that emotion elevation. And he said when we witness an act of beauty, moral beauty, where we see someone in unexpectedly reach out, in the case of Wesley Autry, literally throw himself in front of the train, Um, we are overcome with the beauty of that act, and we feel deeply moved. We think to ourselves, I'd like to be like that person. I'd like to know people like that. I'd like to be involved with uh, charitable work and generous actions. So it actually has a ripple effect just beyond the recipient of the act. Absolutely. Well, it's a beautiful book, and I wish you both much success with it. And people can purchase it by going to Amazon.com. There's also a Facebook page, so be sure to check it out, Something Beyond Greatness, and be sure to like it because it really is a a wonderful gift um, to give out uh, during this season, especially in my opinion. And, You know, you have such an interesting and varied background. How did you make the transition from corporate world to following your heart and doing what you love? That's a good question. You know, um, 
I think when that happens to you, you get to a place where the energy just shifts. I don't know how to explain it. It's like the the intrigue or the connection that you felt with the thing you were doing cools off and your interest and um, excitement about something new, something more personal, something more relevant heats up and you naturally move towards the thing that you have personal feeling for. You must know that, Kathy, from your uh, commitment to doing this program, right? Yes, yes, I, mean, it's I do. Like this, it's an internal knowing that happens, and it's it doesn't ever feel particularly courageous. It feels like the only thing you can do. Yes. I, I just love it to check it with other people. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, I think yeah. that's what you'll find with others as well. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. It's very true. It's it's uh it's it's not even in order in order to. It's it's just a natural movement and you don't question it. And I think um, that's what I think when people talk about a calling Yes. I think that's what they are referring to is like you you actually feel kind of an internal pull or call to do this next thing. And sometimes you feel the pull even before the next thing is very clearly articulated. Mm. You know, it's not always totally clear where you're moving to, but you can feel that pull and you kind of follow that, you know? Yes, that's very true. Uh, Well, let's talk about Images and Voices of Hope. How did that organization come into existence and just share with the listeners what what it's about? Well, Images and Voices of Hope is a global dialogue project with the media that started in June of 1999 uh, in New York City. Um, There were a group of us who were interested in the media and the impact that media has on society. We felt that the biggest export of the U.S. was its media bigger than that it's military export or any other export, and yet we felt that people weren't asking about the impact of this big media export. They were asking about numbers, right, Nielsen ratings and box office receipts and all those things. The media is always interested in numbers, but that uh, we weren't really asking about how people were being affected by the media the U.S. was producing. So when it started, it was a domestic, not a global project. Um, Mm -hmm. We decided to, uh, well, there were three not-for-profit partners that came together for that first dialogue. Um, The School of Business at Case Western Reserve University, which, as you mentioned in your introduction, I eventually went on to open a center there at the business school with David Cooperwriter, a professor there. Uh, They were the academic sponsor the Brahma Kumaris World Spiritual Organization was the spiritual uh, sponsor, and the Brahma Kumaris are based in India, but they have a presence all over the world, and they have an affiliation with the UN as well. And then there is a, was a social sector partner called the Visions of a Better World Foundation. Um, the one thing these three organizations had in common was the belief that if you want to create a better world, the best way to do that isn't to troubleshoot the current world, but it's to envision the world you want to create. And uh, all of them shared the belief that you need to take a a strength-based approach, so not um, looking at all the breakdowns and pathologies of the current situation, but 
um, envisioning what it is you, where you want to go. So we invited a lot of people in media to come to New York City, to Manhattan. Um, about 200 were in the room, and we held a dialogue that went for several hours, and then in the evening, a series of entertainment pieces. It was riveting, but we never meant to start an organization. We thought we were just doing a one-time dialogue. But we hit a nerve, and a lot of people began to ask us to hold the conversation elsewhere. And so since then, since 99, we've held uh, over 50 of these dialogues around the world. Wow. And I love the organization's uh, strategy, which is we focus on the world we want to create, not on problem-solving the world we have. <laughs> which is, And that's where the um, appreciative inquiry comes in in terms right. of being the basis for these public conversations. So can you define for the audience as well what appreciative inquiry process is like and how yeah, it's used? Appreciative in inquiry is a um, strength-based uh, strategy and planning process that was created in the early 80s by David Cooper Ryder. And um, it's it, it works very differently from the normal planning and strategy process. So people who work in organizations know that often um, if a consultant is called into an organization, they usually are called in because there's a problem. And so they come in asking what's the problem and how did it start and who's at fault, and they uh, do a search for the root causes of the problem. But with appreciative inquiry, you come into the system asking the question, when this place was most alive and most dynamic and most engaged and most efficient and most productive, et cetera, what was going on here? And you then inquire into the strengths, and you base your relationship with the organization on those strengths. Um, of course, with media, this is a little anomalous because the very definition of news is often um, in the other direction, right? Some, a right, breakdown, right. a problem that's happened, a crisis. And one of our points in Images and Voices of Hope was that we were at risk in the very definition of news of driving a deficit public discourse because we were defining newsworthy things as being uh, negative or pathological or, you know, in some way deficit. So we were inviting an, you know, kind of an inquiry into what does it look like when media considers both what's breaking down and the seeds of um, the better thing that's being created. So we we sort of have spend our time in these dialogues asking people about their personal mission in their work in media and the social impact they want to have. Well, it's really fascinating, the process, because um, I was reading that it's, it's change begins at the same time that we ask a question. So the questions are, in essence, a very powerful tool for change because they determine the direction that we will go into. And Yeah, that that's true on a personal level as well, right? I mean, if some, right. you go up to someone and you say, gosh, uh, you know, uh, when did you start feeling so bad? They immediately feel worse, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yes, I, I, I don't know, but I'm feeling in... dreadful, right? <laughs> yes, uh, but exactly. if you go and you say, uh, you know, are, uh, how, how are things starting to turn around for you or what's, what are you most encouraged about this year, there's actually some funny stories about families with their children um, asking what went well today and the children immediately get, getting suspicious, you know, why aren't you asking me about my bad grades or my you know, <laughs> late or whatever. 
But, you know, the uh, the premise of appreciative inquiry, there's a couple of them. One is that we move in the direction our questions create. So whatever we ask questions about, we get more of that. That's one of the premises. Um, and then a second one is um, the one that you mentioned, which is the, called the principle of simultaneity, which is it's not that, okay, we make a plan for change and then we go ahead and execute the plan and then the change happens. You know, It's that the instant we inquire about the direction in which we want to change, the change begins then. And so what we've been, back to Images and Voices of Hope, what we've attempted to do is to really catalyze in people and media a memory of why they went into this. You know, what what was it that made you decide you wanted to be a reporter or a, a, a cartoonist or a columnist or a filmmaker or a um, advertising, you know, executive? Or, I mean, what what was on your mind when you decided to do that? What were you hoping to do? And um, and when has it been great? I mean, when did you really feel you were having having an impact? And we ha- we work at both a grassroots level with the um, dialogues around the world and the annual summit we do in the Catskills, but also we work um, at with a leadership group that we've been uh, convening for four years with funding from the Fetcher Institute in Michigan. Um, and with these leaders in media, we have pulled them into a residential retreat to look at the same issues, personal mission, social impact. That's really exciting. I was present for my first uh, Images and Voice, Voices of Hope Summit um, this year, which uh, I equate to a B12 shot of inspiration. It, uh-huh. I was really left in awe of the organization, the work that you do, but especially of the way in which you led the weekend. It was like watching, for me, it was like watching a world-class conductor directing a fine orchestra to play a beautiful symphony. <laughs> That's very nice. Well, the, the fine orchestra is the key, right? Because when you're in dialogue, it's all about the people in the room, you know, as opposed to sometimes we go to conferences where we've got a string of speeches. And then it's not yeah. so important who's in the room, right? You just have to get the right keynotes and they just have to come and say the right things. But when you're inviting people to share their work and to be in conversation, um, in a highly interactive format like that, it really depends on who's in the room. And, you know, the quality of people like you, Kathy, who were there, uh, I know that we, Sherry Turkle from MIT, sort of set the tone with the uh, mindful media with her premise that we are at risk by not paying attention to how much time we spend on screen and kind of unplugged from the world and that uh, there's actually relational risk, you know, that we've got to pay attention to that. But as it turned out, all the many interesting speakers and performers and uh, that came through, and then we ended up getting um, funding for fellowships for about 20 people who were either students or early career media people, early career journalists. And uh, a professor from Champlain College kind of convened a master class, and they had a chance to look at the careers they were moving into. And I honestly, this was the first year we had been so intentional with uh, next generation media people and it was fascinating really really fascinating a lot of them wrote and said how much benefit they took it was very fascinating i took a lot of benefit from watching these you know young people uh that 
are interested in journalism or looking to get into the field, or even some of them were high school students, just to hear their ideas and to see and understand their views. Because if you're born, if you think about it, in 1997, you know, you grow up with technology and going global, and as opposed to rotary phones and the invention of color television uh-huh. <laughs> and That's some, some well, others began. There's another piece to this that I think is it can't be uh, overstated, and that is the reflection piece, which um, often the Brahma Kumaris do that piece. This year we had a, a poet philosopher named Mark Nepo come in and do that piece. But it's true in all the things that we do that we encourage people into a space of silence and kind of inner mulling, if you will, um, and you know, in media in particular, this is not a value that's rated very highly, right? I mean, if you're a journalist, you are incentivized by getting there first and having the numbers. You know, right. you're not incentivized by being deeply reflective. And yet, our position has been that the story of the world is generated largely by media. Right, and it's a combination yes. of news media and entertainment media and the arts and advertising. And so for those in media to have this big of a voice and this much influence, it is crucial at this time for each of those people in media, each of us who work in that field, to consider what is it we're trying to do and who are we and what time, what's the time all about and how do we kind of invoke um, capacity for goodness and capacity for uh, well-being, right, as opposed to just um, selling T-shirts or, you know, whatever. So that is at the heart of it. And I think that's been one of the hardest things to convey to people is why reflection is a crucial dimension to a career in media. I, I can see that being a, a big challenge, but the rewards are so great, and um, you know the impact as that starts to shift. Well, let's talk about some of the projects because that's a perfect example. Because you have projects going on around the, the world. Can you give us an example of a few that, and what the impact was? You know, what the conversations, how the conversations began, and the impact it had on the communities or the change it had in the media, people sure. involved. Well, in some cases, it's viral, and you know how hard it is to track something viral, right? So, yeah. for example, yeah. there was a dialogue last Friday night in Manhattan uh, convened by Shamina de Gonzaga, and Shamina is uh, the co-founder of a media not-for-profit called What Moves You that has focused a lot on undocumented workers. And uh, it, the other person uh, convening the conversation was Wendy Baden who has been on the Ivy of Hope team, management team for 10 years. And they convened a conversation about Rio Plus 20 and the role of media in the climate change conversation. Um, I knew about it because I was in the room and a few others of us. But these kinds of things, how could we track them if we don't happen to be there, right? So many, right. many times people have gone out and convened things. Um, there's a, a newspaper or a radio reporter from Miami um, who has uh, who made a partnership with the DART Society, which uh, supports traumatized journalists, 
and he took our uh, database and questions and on behalf of DART went around the country and convened conversations. So some of it is that sort of thing. It's viral and it's attempt to reach out to journalists and to get them engaged in this question of purpose. Um, Sometimes it's more formal. Uh, We've had a sister conversation going in Brazil, several locations in Brazil, Rio, Sao Paulo, and Belo Horizonte since uh, probably 2001. And that's a very influential media community there. Um, This thought leader dialogue has probably been the biggest piece, and this was we, um, the Fetcher Institute, which supports residential dialogues, um, has space for 24 residents. So we invited 24 uh, journalists, uh, one-third out of the U.S., two-thirds U.S., to come and be in a dialogue about um, values, the values that drive their journalism, and um, the, their questions about their own personal mission and social impact. Um, in the second or third year of this series, we had the, the attendees write a, a, an essay based on a value, and those essays called Values and Voices in Journalism are published on our website and on other websites, and they're offered as kind of a cutting-edge curriculum for uh, journalism schools and communication schools who want to come at it from the values perspective. So uh, those are a few of the things that we've set in motion. I I think the work that you do is really extraordinary. And just coming to the summit, um, there's no way that you can leave Peace Village not really going in a different direction. I mean, it just just getting in touch with all of the things that you just mentioned, you know, what your purpose, what your, you know, your passion is, having time to reflect on it. There's no way that you can ignore what really is, you know, ultimately residing within yourself, despite what your job is or what you're being asked to do. There's just no way after going and attending one of these summits, I don't think that you can really go back into the other direction. I think you really want to make an imprint on the world in a different way. Well, that's beautifully put. And we've had other people say that, you know, it really was a life changer. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of that is just the collective impact. Everyone, you mentioned early at the top of the show about uh, intent, you know, the power of intention. And I think when a group of, you know, 120 or whatever number of people come together with the shared intention to step out of their work life and look at sort of the inner movement of what's going on for them and the personal, um, their own personal mission in their work, it, it's bound to have an impact, right? Because I, I think what happens to people is sometimes they think I'm the only one. You know, I feel yes. this way in my workplace, but nobody else feels this way, and it's so off the mainstream that I really can't even bring this up. And so they're kind of uh, in this closet with themselves. And then when they step <laughs> into a room and they see that the room is packed with uh, writers and reporters and filmmakers and poets and dancers and um, all media people, all stripes, very professional researchers, etc., who feel exactly like they do, then I think that a certain courage comes on and they begin to think, you know, wait a minute, why was I uh, even hesitating around this? 
you know, my work in media is a calling, and it has a tremendous impact on the world, and let me step up to this. Absolutely, and we are not alone. I just want to mention uh, for listeners that if you are interested, uh, please go to ivoh.org for more information about Judy Rogers and uh, Images and Voices of Hope. It's a terrific organization. Um, They have a summit every year at at Peace Village, and I really encourage, we have a lot of, you know, we have documentary filmmakers and a lot of artists and writers and some media people who tune in each week to listen to the show and I, I think it would be extraordinary for them to um, come next year. And I'd That'd like to great. see... Well, the dates next year are September 27th through 30th. So everyone's welcome. Thank you, you know, very much. And I can't believe the time has flown by. I I just also wanted to mention that you have a writing retreat at Peace Village every year called The Power of the Pen. Is that correct? I don't do it every year. I do it some years. Okay. But no. Okay. Will you be doing it this year? Or it's you know, still I on? haven't. I, I'm not sure yet. We're, I'm doing one on money this year, so I'm not sure if I'm going to do the writing one <laughs> okay. as well. <laughs> well, check out everyone uh, peace-village.org, and there you can find a list of um, different uh, weekends, um, you know, seminars that they have, which are wonderful if you really want to get out of the city and just go up to this oasis of peace. That's mm-hmm. the place to go. Mm-hmm. Judy, I can't thank you enough. It's thank been a pleasure you. to have you on the program. I wish you much success with your book, Something Beyond Greatness. And uh, and you can purchase the book by going to Amazon.com. It's a wonderful book, and again, it's a great gift to give this season. Happy New Year, and thank you again for bringing your light and wisdom to the program. Thank you, Kathy. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, next week, Hiding in the Spotlight is the perfect show to end the year and to set an inspirational tone. <laughs> 2012. For anyone struggling through challenging times, be sure to tune in. Our special guest is Shauna Arshinskaya Dawson, a Holocaust survivor whose piano skills saved her life during World War II. And um, her father's parting words to her were, I don't care what you do, just live. And those parting words gave Shauna the courage and poise she needed to hide her Jewish identity while she was forced to perform concerts for the Nazis. Greg Dawson, a journalist and author of the book about her incredible journey, Hiding in the Spotlight, will join us to talk about the book, a new play, and what it was like growing up unaware of his mother's past. Hiding in the Spotlight is a must-read book, and this show is not to be missed. This is Kathy Barrett, and I so thank you for taking this journey. I'm sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll tune in. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.